I just want to tell you guys one thing. It is nice to hear praises in English. Okay, after hearing 10... Hallelujah, yes. That's the only word in Telugu I could understand. So, but they said it a lot, and it was great. Uh, you guys, thank you for praying for us, our mission team, going over to India to, to uh, continue to be involved in our mission over there, the orphanage, the school, the wells, the, the tribal outreach, preaching Jesus to people who had never even heard the name Jesus before, going to a leper colony and serving them. I mean, guys, this was... I felt like it was a page straight out of the New Testament, uh, what we were doing, and, uh, and seeing how vibrant and amazing faith is outside of the borders of America. Now, this is my seventh time to India. I get it. it I should be ready for it, but I wasn't. It's just incredible, and we're going to give testimonies about that next week, uh, as, we, as we always do. One thing you may not know, Michael Ashcraft is on his way to the Dominican Republic right now for a mission trip. Seems like we're always sending missions out of this church. I love it. But he's doing the baseball outreach down there. It's his ninth time doing that. I've been on that trip three times. And uh, so we want to lift him up in prayer, just as you guys did for us. Um, but, uh, so thank you guys for lifting us up in prayer. Everything went phenomenal, and it could not have gone any better. So uh, we are starting a brand new series today called Four Sins That Sound Godly. And I looked at the church and I said, that what are the things that we accept as like these sins we don't like, but these we're okay with. As a matter of fact, we even may think that people that do these are godly people. Um, and so I want to kind of shine a light on a dark spot in the church um, that we cannot ever be okay with sin. We can never be okay with sin, any sin. I don't care what sin it is, it is equal before God. And so today, we're going to talk about spiritual whining, spiritual complaining. And the main thing today is complaining and negativity are not spiritual gifts, no matter how good you are at them. They're not spiritual gifts, okay? I remember the first time I met a spiritual whiner. It was impressive. I was young in my walk with Christ, and, and uh, man, they, I thought they were so godly. I mean, these people could almost walk on water. I see. I mean, they spoke so prophetically about the church service. What was wrong with it? Uh, what was wrong with the world? Uh, they knew everyone's shortcomings, and they told everyone about it. Uh, it was amazing. I never heard such wisdom and godliness and prophetic clarity as I heard from this person. Um, I mean, if you gave them a name, they could tell you what was wrong with them. Uh, if you brought up church, they could tell you what was wrong with the service. They could tell you what was wrong with the preacher. They could tell you what was wrong with the music. Uh, they, I mean, these people were hearing from the Lord. Woo! I mean, they could tell you why the church wasn't baptizing right. They could tell why uh, people weren't serving communion right. They could tell what, why the version of the Bible we were using wasn't the right one. Uh, they could tell why the youth group wasn't right. They could tell why the ch children's ministry wasn't right. They could tell why co contemporary Christian music was fake and of the devil. They could uh, why modern worship music wasn't biblical. Man, whatever it was, they could tell you. I don't know if you run into people like this. But many times we hold spiritual whiners and complainers in high regard. Lots of times we move them into leadership positions in the church because they appear so godly. But as I grew in my faith, I, rec I realized that this person really had a complaining spirit. They were, as the Bible said, were grumblers and fault finders. They were not exercising godliness. They were doing contrary to what the Word of God said to do. 
Um, and uh, like I said, most, most of the time, we, we elevate them as something godly, these people that can speak so prophetically to what everything is wrong in the church and in the world and with everybody else. Make no mistake, these people are on very dangerous ground. We're going to tell you why. They're very dangerous spiritual state. Here, so you guys want to know what the dangers of spiritual complaining, spiritual whining is. The first one is this, is that complaining trains your brain to always see the negative. Complaining trains your brain. You are actually damaging your brain. So, uh, a, a 2019 study showed that the more you complain, the more that, ne- that you complain about something in life or something that is going wrong or something you don't like, your brain literally is rewired so that all you can see is the negative. Complaining begets complaining. You would think that complainers, after they got it all out, would feel better. No, no, not at all continue to see negative and continue to see negative becomes a vicious cycle where you complain and your brain is damaged and it begins to 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 do this jude 1 16 these people are grumbles grumblers and fault finders they follow their own evil desires they boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage talking about the people that are out of god's favor grumblers and fault finders are it you've heard the term practice makes perfect no 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 practice does not make perfect if I was a guitar, playing guitar and I practiced doing a chord the wrong way, it would not make me perfect. It would make that wrong way permanent. Practice makes permanent. It doesn't make perfect. It makes permanent. So whatever you habitually do is what is becoming permanent in your life. And if you are a complainer, a fault finder, that is becoming a permanent place in your life. And that is unfit for the man or woman of God to be a grumbler or a fault finder. And this is particularly, particularly important in the home, husbands and wives. Husbands and wives, listen, spouses that complain about the other are in danger of never, ever uh, being able to see anything else. Once you begin to believe what is worse about your spouse, and you complain about your spouse, your brain is rewired to see only the negative in your spouse until you can see nothing good. Uh, Christian counselors, to the T, have done study after study after study of this, says that the last step before you are in divorce court is not violence, it's not adultery, it not, may not even be yelling. It is communication of contempt. It is belittling. If you have a complaining, belittling spirit and that you're directing that towards your husband or your wife, when you communicate contempt for your spouse, you are one step away from the divorce court. And so the, a complaining spouse is going to be soon a divorced spouse because you're doing brain damage. You can only see the negative in that person. The second problem, so why it's so dangerous, is that a complaining mouth is a sign of a bitter heart. Yeah, it is. Look what it says. These are the words of Jesus in Matthew 12, 33 through 37. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. He is not talking about trees. He's talking about you and me. We are going to be recognized for godly or ungodly, Christian or non-Christian, good or bad, by the things our life produces. And if your life is producing a bunch of complaining, that is what you're going to be labeled as. He calls this, verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the mouth, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Did you hear that? I want to read that again. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You want to know what the state of your heart is? You want to know what it is? You really want to know what, what, what is going on in here? Easy. Look at the words that come out of your mouth. 
Look at the words that come out of your mouth. If you have a joyful heart, you're going to speak joyful words. If you have a complaining heart, you're going to speak complaining words. If you have a, a critical heart, you're going to speak critical words. Your mouth always speaks what the heart is full of. So you want to know your spiritual state before God? Look at what the words that come out of your mouth consistently. That's what, the, that's what Jesus is saying here. He says this, a good man brings the good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings the evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Oh, whoo. Jesus takes this seriously, y'all. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you'll be condemned. Wow. That's kind of, that sits on us heavy, isn't it? See, some of us are ready to go to work tomorrow, go to school tomorrow, and the first thing you're going to do is complain, right? Because that's what the office culture's like. That's what the school culture's like. That's what the bosses do. That's what all your coworkers do. And you're tempted to jump in with them. But hear the words of Jesus. Hear the words of Jesus. Your mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And some of us today need a heart transplant. We need heart surgery. It's not just stopping your mouth. It is you need complete and total heart surgery. If I was to go to the five people you spend the most time with and ask them to describe you to me, would they describe you as a habitual complainer, grumbler, fault finder? You don't want to know the truth? Those people won't be around you very long because no one wants to sit around a person who complains all the time. That is the most annoying, draining thing I've ever been around. Jesus is clearly saying whatever you consistently speak about, that's the state of your heart. And like I said, a bitter heart is instant repellent. Uh, so instantly obvious, the words of your mouth show everything you don't want the world to see about your heart. If you're a complainer, get ready to lose friends. Get ready to lose fa uh, family members. Get ready to have church people move away from you because nobody wants to be around that. Really, no one wants to sit around and listen to you complain and complain. You'll be an unbearable person to live with, unbearable person to work with. You wouldn't want to hang out with you if you're honest. Let me ask you that question. Would you want to hang out with you, the words out of your mouth? Would you want to be best friends with you and listen to you complain and complain and complain all the time? Think about it. You wouldn't want to be married to you the way that you treat others. So, that, guys, that, that kind of state is not God's will for your life. That is not what God wants for your home. It's not what he wants for your life. Okay, that's not, I, I, I imagine, I imagine non-Christians looking at you on Monday at work or at school and listening to you complain and complain and complain about everything and they're like, man, if that's what Jesus does for you, I don't want what you got. We are terrible witnesses for Jesus when we have a complaining, awful, grumbling, fault-finding heart. <clears throat> Number three, this is the most important. Number one is that you're, you're doing brain damage. The second one is a sign of a bitter heart. The third, though, is the most important. Complaining shuts down the power of God in your life. Shuts down the power of God in your life. Look what happens in the book of Numbers 14, 26 through 30. The, the nation of Israel had just uh, been led out of slavery. Okay, think about slavery is probably the worst state to live in. Okay? I mean, Mississippi is a bad state, but slavery is even worse. Okay? So, so, Slavery, they were in slavery for 400 years and they just were liberated from it. You'd think these people would be grateful and joyful and everything like that. But as they were moving out of Egypt and God had them going to the promised land, six times they grumbled and complained to Moses and about God that they wanted to go back to slavery because at least they had three meals a day and they romanticized the great times they had in Egypt being slaves. 
And so God finally got tired of it, of the fault finding and the complaining. And look what happened. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of those grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted the census, who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. It wasn't their enemies. It wasn't murder, it wasn't adultery, it wasn't stealing, it wasn't any of those things. What blocked God's future for them? It was complaining and grumbling and fault-finding. Blocked the very future God had for them. And if you are a complainer right now, you could be shutting down the power of God in your life. If you're always complaining about how God gave you a raw deal or how the church is, is bad or awful or terrible, you're blocking the power of God in your life. Remember how Jesus told us the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This is why complaining blocked them. Does a complaining mouth show a trustful heart? One that trusts God? By the complaining and grumbling, the Israelites show the state of their heart before God. They didn't trust him. They, didn't, they weren't going to follow him. They didn't like the way he was doing things. They didn't like the way God was doing things. And they complained and complained and complained about it. Okay? And maybe a habit of complaining is shutting down the power of God in your life right now. If you're struggling with the sin and you're not seeing the breakthrough, if, if you are struggling with a situation and you just can't see a way out and you know what God's future is for you and it's just not happening, and you start complaining and complaining and complaining about it, God may be saying, I'm going to shut down. I can't work with you. Because you don't trust me. You don't trust my plan. You don't trust my timing. So I can't do a thing with you. Our words can literally stop the future God has for us. That's why this is such a dangerous place. And yet we think people that complain are so godly. Mm. So here's the truth, people. We need to transform our complaining spirits. We need to transform that. See, God is not into keeping you where you are. The reason you came to church today is because you were looking for something new. You were looking for a transformation. You know, unlike lots of people, you know you're not perfect. You know you're not doing things right, and so you're looking for God to change you and transform you. Well, I've got good news. He'll do it. He will give you heart surgery. He'll give you a heart transplant. That's what Jesus specializes in. Can I get an Amen. Amen. Okay, so this is what we need to do. We need to realize this. We're going to transform our complaining spirit. This is what we need to do, starting right now. Number one is this. We need to realize it's not your job to fix everyone else, nor is your opinion wanted very often. Complainers have this arrogance about them that they think everybody wants to hear what they have to say. Um, how many of y'all really want to hear what they have to say? Not many. Uh, in general... I wish people keep their opinions to themselves. So do you. You don't want to hear people's opinions, do you? Well, guess what? They don't want to hear yours either, unless they ask. Okay, so it's not your job to fix everything. It's not your job to fix every person. It's not your job to talk about what is, gone, what is wrong, going wrong with people. Or It's not your job. Okay? Uh, Philippians 2, 12 through 15 gives us a different 
vision for how we're supposed to be. Look at this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So the first thing we need to do, we need to make sure that we're okay. I've found that complainers and fault finders don't do a good job of looking in the mirror. Amen? They don't fix what's wrong with them. They don't fix what's wrong in their lives. They don't fix their complaining spirit. They don't fix their potty mouth. They don't fix their broken relationships. They just like to talk about what is going on with everyone else. But the Bible tells us we're supposed to work out our salvation first. We need to get our uh, uh, hearts right with God first. So the first step to get rid of a a complaining spirit is fix yourself. Focus on the person in the mirror. That's the only person you can do anything about. Make sure that person in the mirror is following Jesus. Make sure the (coughs) person in the mirror is following what God says. Guys, that's a 24-hour job. If you do that, you won't have time to complain about anybody else. How many of y'all would say, yeah, I'm more like a 25-hour-a-day job? You know, I mean, for me, it takes like 10 years. I need 10 years in one day to fix me. Yeah, absolutely. So, guys, let's get our own houses in order first. And when you focus on getting your own house in order, then you don't have time to look what's wrong with everyone else's house. Okay, and then he goes on. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Verse 14, I want everyone to underline this. Everyone, underline this. Like, put a big check mark around it. Highlight it. If you're using the Bible app, highlight it. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. What do you say to do without grumbling and complaining? Everything. Well, wait, so that means everything. Well, what? What? God says everything without grumbling and complaining. Dream with me, parents. What would a complain-free house be like? What if you knew you could come home from work? Students, what if you knew you could come home from school and no one's complaining, no one's whining, No one's pointing out how awful everything is. Instead, everybody was working on themselves, getting themselves right, repenting of their sins, moving their lives into into alignment with God's will. What kind of home would that be like? How many of y'all like to be in a house like that? Some of y'all like, that house doesn't exist. Well, actually, it does if we follow the word of God. That's what I want for my home. Now, that's not that we don't talk about what's wrong. There's the difference between talking about what is wrong and, and pointing out problems that need to be solved. That's one thing, but complaining is different, and you guys know the difference. I don't even talk about that right now. But do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Guys, what I want to ask you today, this is how you do this. This is how you, you, uh, you do this. Number one, guys, you just embrace that life's not going to be perfect. It's not. Things are never going to go the way you want them to all the time. And that's okay. It's okay that things don't go according to your timetable or you, the, the way that you want them. It's okay. That's life. And the and complainers kind of resist against that. They think that life should be perfect. They think that everything should go exactly like they want it to go. And when it doesn't, they can't handle it. Well, guys, we need to embrace that life isn't perfect. And it's never going to be perfect. But that's okay. 
make it so that's okay. Embrace the fact that it's not perfect. Life is never going to go like you want it to go all the time. In fact, when things aren't going like you want them to do, you can still give God the glory through that. I just stepped off a plane from India, and when I started doing mission trips to India back in 2012, India was number 37 on the Voice of a Martyr's countries, uh, most difficult countries to be a Christian in, number 37. As of right now, it's number 10. It's, it's, number, it, it's 10th. It is more difficult to be a Christian in India than it is in Pakistan right now. There's more persecution in India than there's in Pakistan. There, there, uh, uh, half of the states there have passed anti-conversion laws. So if you, if you convert from Hinduism to Christianity, you, 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 you're thrown in jail. And the first night that we were there, we were there with, with about uh, 50 or 60 pastors and missionaries that were from these, these states that were, that were and one after one, they stood up and said, yeah, there's an anti-conversion law in my state, but I'm going to keep preaching because that's what Jesus did. And they just, they didn't wait for ideal circumstances. They knew that life wasn't fair. They knew that life, it was, everything wasn't going to go like they wanted it to, but they were fine with that because they were right smack in the middle of God's will. They didn't complain about it at all. I'd be complaining, man. I'd be full of, I, I'd be like, you've got to be kidding me. I, you mean people don't have free will to convert to Christianity and they, they know the, the truth about Jesus? I, man, I'd be, writing, I'd be writing my congressman as if that would do any good. But really, they didn't complain at all. They knew this. I hope that we as Americans do that too. So understand, it's not your job to fix everyone else. And nor is your opinion wanted all that much. Those people at work tomorrow, that you want to complain to, you know what? They really don't want to hear your opinion. And you don't want to hear theirs either. Let's all shut up. All right? Number two is this. Switch from complaining to being an encourager. The world needs real encouragers. The church needs real encouragers. Guys, I don't know if you know how much pain and sorrow and strife and stress is going on in our church. And it's not anything anybody's done wrong. It's, it's just life is tough right now for so many people in our church. And you know what people need the most? They know you can't do anything about their situation. They know you can't fix it. They're not asking you to. You know what they're asking for is someone to come alongside, put your arm around and say, hey, keep going because God loves you. I want to ask you to move from complaining to being an encourager. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. One of my preaching professors told me this. He said, there is a, there, there is a, a mass of broken hearts in the pews every time you preach. He goes, never forget that. Doesn't matter what smile, look, what the church smile looks like. Doesn't matter what people tell you. It doesn't matter that kind of thing. There is a slew of broken hearts in this room, you all. And we need people to be encouragers. Maybe God is asking you to completely transform, to cut off the complaining spirit and said, look for what other people need. See, guys, you've heard, keep it, you heard kiss. In, uh, and and at, in soccer, there's a thing, kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Don't, don't do this. Don't do this complex thing. Keep it simple. Keep it simple, Stu. Well, this is what I want for Catalyst. I've revised that. I'm going to say KIPS. Keep it positive, sinners. Okay? Keep it positive, sinners. So KIPS. Um, because, guys, that's the way that we, that we need to be. See, guys, complaining keeps your mind focused on yourself. But encouraging 
lets you see other people, lets you see other people. How many of you today, and let's just talk about us at this church, because we, we have to get our own houses right. We need to get our own church right before we can talk about anything out there. How many of you all have truly seen people in this church this week? How many of you have seen? I'm, I'm not talking look at them. I'm talking seen them, seen past the smile, seen past the facade, and really seen what that person's dealing with, what that person's struggling with. How many of you all have actually done that this week? That's what we need. See, encouraging helps you see the person. Here in America, we have such an isolated, individualistic culture that we don't see the people. I saw this amazing video put out by Norwich Football Club out in, out in, in England. It's been seen more than 57 million times as a mental health awareness thing. It showed two English soccer fans, and one of them was all fired up and, yeah, go, go. And the other one was just kind of sitting there dejected. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Then the next game, same thing. This guy was fired up, and the guy was kind of sitting there dejected. And the other, next game, and the next game, the next game. And then it says, the, the video says, not everything is obvious. And then the, the next game, the dejected guy's there, and the fired up guy's gone. It was powerful. Because the one with the mental health struggle was the one that looked like he was okay. But nobody saw him. They saw him, but they didn't see him. And so who in your life needs encouragement today? Remember, the word of God says this. It says, therefore, encourage one another and build each, other's up, each other up. There's a marching orders for your, for your week, church. Somebody in here needs you to encourage them and build you up. And in the same way... You need that too. So guys, let's become a church that, that is faithful to 1 Thessalonians 4.11, encouraging one another, building each other up. Let's stop the complaining because all that does is focus you on yourself and your circumstances and let's become encouragers because somebody may be about to throw in the towel and you don't know it because you haven't seen them. Somebody may be about to walk away from their faith because, man, they just don't, they're just not hearing from God. They're just not seeing it. And a, 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 an encouraging word from you would help them go one more week. All right? And number three is this. Become a 429. A 429. Ephesians 429. It's one of, my, one of the greatest uh, uh, scripture verses. I want you to underline it, highlight it, whatever. Start living it out. It says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building each other's up, that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, according to these, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Become a 429. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. Now, what would your home be like if you guys lived by that one verse? If at your home you did nothing but build each other up, you don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but you used your words to build the other person up, what would your home be like? Some of you can't even fathom that. Well, this is what the Word of God says, so why don't you go home and try it? I met some people last week that, in my humble opinion, had good cause to complain. People who were living pretty much the way they did, their ancestors did a thousand years ago. These people had no lights. They had the sun. They had no lights. They had no water. 
they were subsistence farmers. We went out to the jungles of India and we, we drove in a car as far as a car would go. You guys thought Eastern Kentucky was bad. Eastern Kentucky was New York compared to this place, y'all. We went as far as the car could go. And we got out and we put our supplies on our backs. I mean, it was something like out of 200, 300 years ago. We walked two kilometers, three kilometers, about a mile and a half into the jungle. And it wasn't a straight path. It was up and down, up and down. I mean, it seemed like a lot longer than a mile and a half to reach these people that are living in the middle of nowhere. They're from the low caste. They're not allowed to go in the cities. They're not allowed to go to hospitals. They're not allowed into society. They're outcasts. They are the least of these, as Jesus would say. And we carried these lamps, these solar lamps that would charge during the day and provide light at night, huge packs of rice, candy for the kids. We were going to make Jesus known to these people. We're going to bring the light physical light to them and then show them that Jesus is the light of the world. They'd never heard the name Jesus before. They've been told their whole lives that they were outcasts, that they were lessened, that they were no good, that they were worthless. They were forced to live so far away from everyone because they were the untouchables in Indian society. If anyone had the right to complain, it would be them. Life handed them a raw deal. Them and their ancestors handed them a wrong, raw deal. And yet when we went there and handed them lamps, they threw a party. A guy took a cardboard box, one of the cardboard boxes that we had brought the lamps in, turned it upside down, found two sticks, and made an improvised drum set, and they all danced. I got a video of it. You'll see it tomorrow. Um, see it next Sunday. There was joy there. I met people last week who had leprosy. And I'm still processing the emotions of seeing that because we were greeted by them. There were probably 15 or so of them. One of the guy raised his hand to wave and he had nothing but nubs. He had no fingers. Leprosy had taken them from him. Other people were in various advanced or beginning stages of the disease, but these people were the least of these. There's no one lower than lepers. They are not allowed to, they're forced away from their family. They cannot be hugged. They cannot be touched. They cannot be, be embraced. They have to live in basically exile. And they, they basically go there until they die. There's no hope. There's no joy. There's no, these are the least of these, as Jesus talked. And I thought, these people have every right to complain. We handed out fruit to them. And we had dedicated the well, and it was amazing seeing the water, fresh water being pumped out of the, out of the ground. It's the first time they ever had, had water, and they were overjoyed. But as we were handing out fruit, to the, there were some that were mobile. Some were in very advanced stages. They couldn't come out of their home, out of their little apartments. And down at the very end, there was a man. When I walked down there, he was in very advanced stages of the disease. And he was down on his hands and knees because he couldn't walk. And he had no clothes on. And the smell, how do I say this? Well, um, not being able to control his bathroom uses, shall we say, was overwhelming. 
from this little room that he stayed in. And he that guy had the right to complain. If anybody had the right to complain, it was that man right there. He was the lowest of the low. I say that because the day before I left, um, I had a major, major pity party complaining bout with God. Um, my wife's car needed a high-pressure line and the power steering pump replaced. And me being a guy, I'm going to try to fix it myself. And it was bad, y'all. It was bad. <laughs> I worked all day on it, and it was way up in the engine, and it was an extremely difficult repair. I got it all together, and there was one bolt that I couldn't get tight just because the position of it didn't have the right tools, and put the power steering fluid in. I said, Rachel, turn on the car, and all of a sudden, power steering fluid just flew out of it. I just hit the ceiling, and I was complaining. I was complaining. I was going off. I'm glad you guys didn't see me that day. See, my wife sees me like that, which is pretty amazing. She continues to pray for me. And then I started to blame inanimate objects. Stupid car. Stupid ratchet. And everyone said stupid man. I complain and complain and complain. I don't like failing at things, y'all. Especially this. And then I went to India. And the Lord changed my perspective big time when I saw that man. And I thought to myself, this man has every right to complain. And he's not. In fact, he smiled. No teeth. He smiled as I handed him some fruit. And he knew that he was going to be getting clean drinking water for the first time in his life. Thought he'd won the lottery. Here was a man who couldn't even use the bathroom right and correctly. Who had no clothes on. Couldn't even stand up and was smiling. See, I saw people last week that had the right to complain, but that didn't. And so that made my struggles, my complaints, my issues in life seem very trivial. And my prayer for you all is not that you would, not, not that you would minimize the problems in life that you have. I'm not saying that because everyone has problems. What I'm praying is that through your problems, you can give God the glory, that you can stop complaining, stop shutting down the power of God in your life and start being an encourager to the people around you who so desperately need it. If you need major heart surgery today, and a lot of us do, because you've been complaining and whining, I'm telling you, it is not a spiritual gift. Stop Stop shutting down the power of God in your life. Stop hardwiring your brain. Stop doing brain damage and instead become a 429er. Become the person God wants you to be. Let the words of your mouth reflect your joyful heart. You'll be hearing more about our trip to India next week. Next week, you all, is a special Sunday. We're celebrating International Orphan Sunday. 
we're going to be talking about the church's responsibility for that. And the topic is spiritual apathy. And so you're going to be hearing testimonies from India about the orphanage and the orphans and, the, and things that we saw last week. You're going to hear testimonies about people who have been blessed by, by, uh, uh, by orphan care. We're going to talk about the church's responsibility to the least of these. And y'all, it is going to be an awesome Sunday. So make sure that you are here. But be an encourager to the people around you because everyone's fighting a difficult battle. God bless you all. You all are awesome. See you later. See you next week.